Hello and welcome back. Thanks for following along for season two of Music for PhDs. So we've been talking about music and language, ways in which music and language are similar and ways that they aren't. Last episode, we talked about how babies learn. The way they soak up patterns in music is very similar to how they seem to absorb language. And we talked about Imogen Heap's The Happy Song. There's actually a lot of music marketed towards babies, or rather, to parents of babies. Many of these products are profitable, uh, but some are more benign than others. So we kind of gave away the spoiler in the episode title, but... The The Mozart Mozart effect effect is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Kate, why don't you walk us through the Mozart effect? Big, heavy air quotes on that one. Sure. The Mozart effect was a very catchy name uh, coined by the media, not by scientists, to describe a study Now, the study was about university students, which is sort of the first surprise. Uh, The students completed spatial awareness tasks. So that's things like folding a piece of paper or solving a maze. Then they listened to 10 minutes of total silence, a monotonous voice speaking, or a Mozart piano sonata. The students in the study who listened to the Mozart showed an improvement on the spatial reasoning task, but the improvement only lasted about 15 minutes. Hmm. So when you say made up by the media... I mean made up by the media. Uh, So a few articles made a real splash in the popular imagination, and suddenly this single study uh, got touted as classical music makes everyone, especially kids, smarter. This study was done on university students, though, right? Like almost adult, pretty much adult age? Yeah. The study didn't ever look at children or at babies. Plus, just to be really clear here, the improvement didn't last very long, and it was limited to these spatial awareness tasks. So spatial awareness, would that also relate to kind of how you, how you know where you are in a room and kind of what's around you? Different kinds of spatial awareness are sort of one tiny component of an IQ test. So they're not a measure of overall intelligence. They're just this one thing that you can do about awareness in space. Um, The researchers didn't measure general IQ at all. Uh, On top of that, their research design didn't compare classical music, like Mozart, to any other kind of music. So the participants only listened to either Mozart or silence or a monotone speaking voice. I mean, I can already tell that I would prefer the Mozart over those other two options. They they sound pretty bad, actually. Right. But the idea of increasing your intelligence made for a really catchy headline. And a mention of the study in an article that was kind of intended to be a joke got blown out of proportion. Throw in some excitable parents, the chance for companies to sell them IQ-improving products, and uh, an author who was looking to sell lots of copies of sciencey sounding books. And in the mid to late 90s, the Mozart effect really took off. The governor of Georgia even proposed a program where hospitals would give out free cassettes and CDs of classical music to new parents. And a company you may have heard of called Baby Einstein made puppet videos set to classical music, 
Uh, they were such an overnight success that they were acquired by Disney for 25 million US dollars. Wow. And what were the results of this $25 million investment? <laughs> um, pretty bad, I think. Uh, in the early 2000s, the New York Times estimated that a third of babies in America had watched at least one Baby Einstein video. Uh, but follow-up research couldn't find measurable benefits of doing that. In fact, one study even showed that the more of these types of videos that babies watched, the fewer vocabulary words they had compared to other kids the same age as them. So it sounds like the videos are actually kind of slowing down the baby's language development instead of this so-called supercharge effect. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what the data were suggesting in that study. So maybe unsurprisingly, the creators of Baby Einstein sued the researchers who led that study. Um, but other scientists found similar results in the years since then. I think it's pretty safe to say that babies are wired to learn best from other people, not from screens. So the more time babies spend watching videos, the less time they spend interacting with real people, being talked to and trying to learn how to talk. So in a later lawsuit, Baby Einstein had to remove the word educational from all of their marketing materials. And eventually, Disney issued millions of refunds. Oof, dramatic. But the original study, going back to that, it did show an effect after listening to Mozart music. Is that right? It did. But it seems like the fact that it was Mozart music specifically didn't really matter. With all the controversy and attention the original study generated, other scientists got interested in this topic throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. So they tested a lot of theories to try and pin down exactly what was going on. And there's kind of three big ideas that they explored. One finding was that just because Mozart wrote a piece of music didn't guarantee it would produce this boost in visual spatial performance. For example, if you run the exact same experiment as in the original study, but you slow down the recordings of the Mozart piano pieces, the effect disappears. Slower music kind of has less energy. Okay, so not all Mozart music magically produces this effect. But isn't classical music supposed to be better because it's mm, more sophisticated or something along those lines? Well, I mentioned the journalist who wrote that very first news article about the study was making a joke. And he said something like, this settles a centuries-old debate and finally proves that Mozart is better than Beethoven. So he was just being snarky. Um, but that is the slightly snobby subtext underlying a lot of the publicity about music and IQ. As though some music is so superior to everything else that it can literally improve your brain. In fact... Um, the second of those three important things that I mentioned these follow-up studies figured out was that the effect can be created by lots of types of music other than Mozart. So my favorite example is one study in the late 90s showed that preteens who listened to a popular rock band showed bigger improvements in visual-spatial tasks than kids who listened to Mozart. Okay, so for preteens, rock music wasn't just the same as classical music. It was actually better. Right. <laughs> I bet parents were thrilled. <laughs> yeah. So if you're still following along at home, that means one, not all Mozart music produces this effect. And two, that music that isn't Mozart can still boost performance. 
The third piece of evidence is kind of the nail in the coffin for the Mozart effect, though. So other studies have found that to get this improvement in visual-spatial reasoning, you don't actually need to use music at all. If university students alternate between listening to Mozart recordings and listening to audiobooks, people who like music more show a boost after they listen to music. But people who prefer Stephen King more only show a boost after they hear the audiobook recording. So in that case, they're kind of like the kids listening to rock music. Whether we got the effect depended on what the adults enjoyed listening to. Okay, so to recap for our listeners, point one, slow Mozart tunes equals no effect. Point two, rock music is better than Mozart for preteens. And point three, even audiobooks were more effective, at least for people who like audiobooks. Exactly. So taking those three things together, it's pretty clear scientific evidence that there's nothing particularly special about Mozart. The important ingredient seems to be that what you're listening to improves your mood and engages your brain, so to speak. So that means it has moderate to high energy, maybe a positive upbeat musical sound, or some other auditory information you find engaging, like thriller stories. It sounds like if you're having your kid listen to Beethoven to try and boost their IQ, or you're forcing yourself to listen to Bach while you study in order to up your grades, I mean, probably out of luck. That's the long and short of it. So maybe for a hot minute, your newly awakened brain and your improved mood uh, will result in better ability to cut a piece of paper or play a memory game. But the effects are really small. They vary depending on the context. And like probably most importantly, they're temporary. So this only lasts a couple minutes. At the end of the day, like, listen to things you enjoy as long as they don't distract you. Now, this podcast is titled Music for PhDs, and obviously this is a joke. You don't have to have a PhD to enjoy classical music, or any other music for that matter. But I thought it would be fun to ask a bunch of people who do have PhDs or who are very smart about their favorite music, and especially what they listen to for reading or studying to get that brain awakening effect. These are all listed in the show notes below, so you can check them out for yourself. Uh, so my name is Kaylee Byers, and I study urban rats and the risks they pose to human health. So when I am, oh my gosh, it's been so long since I had to study, thankfully. But when I'm studying, I, I have to listen to something without lyrics. So I tend to listen to a lot of maritime music, fiddle music, think of the sea shanty, but without the fun singing along piece so that's that's what I'll listen to if I'm reading something you know a lot of people prefer music without lyrics when they're studying and there's a pretty good reason for it it's easy to listen to singing or words when you're doing a non-linguistic task like driving your car or even when you're doing a language task that isn't too demanding for your brain like maybe reading a recipe but when you're working on a cognitively demanding task, like reading a textbook or an academic journal article, you need to really focus all your attention. Music with words in it draws your attention more. It activates the language centers in your brain. 
if you've ever turned off the radio in your car while you're trying to parallel park, um, that's kind of the same concept. For most people, the sound distracts them and it eats up some of their bandwidth to process other information. It's also worth noting that that distraction effect isn't necessarily limited to human language. Hi, uh, my name is Aaron Furwether. I'm a University of Guelph PhD candidate working with ants in agricultural systems, looking at their diversity, ecology, and how humans impact them through pesticide use. I've never really played insect sounds or like nature sounds in the background because it distracts me. It gets my mind like, oh, what's that cricket playing right now? Because I'm an entomologist, so that's where my mind goes. So it's it's like voices for me. It's so weird. It's actually really cool. I'm going to go down a biology path here. But like uh, there's a couple of species of ants that may they have the same stridulation as uh, crickets and grasshoppers and stuff. So if you hold a mic up to them really closely, like to their nests, you can hear the squeaking when they're talking inside the nest. It's kind of cute sounding. It's like the bugs from Pixar. I think it's cute too. But for someone like Aaron, they know so much about ants that maybe ant communication sounds are meaningful to them in a way that the sounds definitely aren't for you and me. We hear cute they hear communication. Aaron can differentiate between insect species enough that those sounds might feel like language and could even activate some of the same brain regions. And it doesn't, I mean, I wouldn't say it stresses them out, but it sounded to me like Aaron wouldn't find that relaxing. Answer their research topic. So this probably just reminds them of work. There's that part too. I used to use musical samples all the time in a previous research lab. It's not like I would go home at night and listen to those same songs to relax in the evening. More generally, though, what people find distracting has to do with their individual perceptual system. Most of us get our attention pulled away by listening to the language that we speak. Aaron's distracted by ants because they know so much about them. Some musicians I know find several kinds of background music distracting because their musical expertise means they start to analyze and decode patterns. Mm, ah, that's a chess pattern recognition we talked about in the last episode. Exactly. So jazz musicians might hear and track the chord changes or the solos and so on. Ah, I love jazz. But, you know, I rarely listen to it at home, actually. Remember jazz clubs? Do you remember clubs? <laughs> Remember going places and seeing people? Okay, so uh, my name is Eric Donovan. I'm a professor in physics and astronomy at the University of Calgary. And my field of research is called space physics. And in particular, my focus is on the Northern Lights and using the Northern Lights to explore some of the interesting physics that goes on in the Earth's upper atmosphere and in a region we call the magnetosphere. I don't know, I guess about six years ago, I went up to a place called Blatchford Lake Lodge in the Northwest Territory. And it's it's about a 45 minute, 40 minute um, plane flight, like, like ski plane or float plane, depending on what time of year you go. And while I was there, I just like, I, I really was enjoying the music that they were playing in the common area in the lodge. 
And I asked this woman, uh, where, where, where is this music coming from? And she said they were just playing the one channel, the one serious uh, radio channel that the owner of the lodge would let them play, which was Coffee House, Coffee House Radio. Eric is on to something. I mean, coffee shop music is a huge branch of Spotify's focus music genre. And I'd bet there's been a huge jump in popularity of coffee shop soundtracks while none of us can go to actual coffee shops. Some of those playlists even integrate background chatter so that you can feel like you're in a coffee shop or an airport lounge. Listen to this clip from imissmybar.com. That is fantastic. And I do miss my bar. Right? So much. And you can you can really tailor it to your nostalgia. You can adjust those sliders to amp up the street noise or the bartender noise, the background chatter of the other people, and of course the music itself. So that's that real taste of the city that most of us don't have right now. That is so gone and far off in our memories. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also, you know, the other type of soothing sound that many of us in the big city do not have right now is the sounds of nature and the sounds of going outside. So that's the other end of the spectrum, which we call biophilia. And it's more like those nature soundtracks that Aaron mentioned. Uh, my name is Corey Chewy. I am Cree, Métis, Polish. Uh, my Cree ancestors are from Tree 8 up north. I just finished my PhD in education, specializing in uh, storying mathematics. And it took me a long time to figure out how to, or what music to songs, I guess I'm going to say, to listen to while I was studying. Um, but I came about two that were um, very useful for me. Um, and they're not kind of the rhythm or traditional music that you would listen to songs um, while you're studying. But I like to listen to thunder and like rain sounds while I'm studying, as well as songs of the cosmos. So like that white noise, that very low frequency vibrations. love these sounds. It really feels just like tuning into the belly of the universe. These are great examples of music that lets you focus. And like Corey said, um, even white noise and low frequency vibrations for a lot of people, it creates a sense of peace and quiet and it's restful. Um, but there's also more energetic music that brings people together. My name is Jenny Thompson, and I'm an anesthesiologist. I listen to just about everything. Mostly, I would say pop, because that's what registers with everyone in the operating room. There's even a room that really likes metal, because that's what the group of people that work together frequently like. So, And that's a great point, that music fundamentally is a really shared experience. For the most part, you make music and you experience music with other groups of people. And there's a rapidly growing field studying the pro-social effects of sharing music together. So cooperating with people, helping them, working as a team, 
And that's probably part of what the operating room is honing in on. Also, that effect, like we talked about for the Mozart effect, of managing your mood and your energy, either with Mozart or with pop music, if that's what you like. Now, I don't think our next guest is a T-Swift fan, but we'll give him a pass anyways. I'm Jay Ingram. I'm a science communicator, and that's what I've done for my entire career. When I was in university, we would dedicate time to listen to music. And I can vividly remember listening to uh, Johnny Cash's uh, live album at Folsom Prison. In a dark room, I was, I was actually... I didn't have that many friends, so I had no friend. There were no friends in the room, just me, just listening to this album. Well, there's no way I do that today. All of these great examples have got me thinking about my own preferred study and focus music. I have some go-to music for early morning drawing and painting. It's one of those auto-generated Spotify playlists. It makes a pile of songs based on a single track that you've picked out. And for me, that track is Coffee by Sylvan Esso. And yes, the title is 100% the reason I like to play it in the morning. Because I like props, I wanted to get those actual coffee ring marks on the paper left behind by your favorite mug. I even threw in a few outright splashes of coffee just for fun. Don't worry, it wasn't hot. Overall, though, I wish this painting was darker. I work with watercolors and pastels, and they're on white paper, but something about this song just reminds me of getting up early on winter mornings when it's still pitch dark out. I think this painting is a bit too bright, a bit too light for that, uh, but I do really like the coffee cup marks. As always, you can view the finished painting on my website, along with show notes for this entire episode. I'd love to hear what you think. A huge thank you to all of my fantastic guests. With their help, I've created an absolute treasure trove of brain activation music. And as always, thank you to CJSW for generously supporting the Music for PhDs podcast. So far this season, we've been learning about music and language, but we haven't talked about their ultimate combination, singing. So I'm excited to talk to Kathleen Allen, who writes music for choirs. Thanks again for joining us on Music for PhDs, the art project disguised as a podcast. 